following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. Welcome, once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another installment of Broken Sea Audio Productions' Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter. Tonight begins another tale of suspense and adventure, as Jake and his trusty companions are entrusted with a quest that will bring them to a mystical land of lost horizons. What dangers lie in the frozen wastes of this faraway forgotten world? Sit back and listen to part one of Jake Sampson and, and the, the Roof, roof of, of the World. world. has arrived for you, sir. Hmm. It's bad news, isn't it? I really could not say, sir. I'm afraid it was addressed to you. Hartford, I have a growing sense that something is wrong, as if the cosmos is in some way out of balance. Unseen forces are out there, somewhere, gathering and plotting. Not an unusual phenomenon, sir, though I would suspect that it might be a bit stronger in your case. I first felt this when I was in Egypt. I felt something strange stirring, Hartford. As if something had awoken somewhere. I have no clue what. Just that it's not right. Knowing your family as I have, sir, I would be inclined to trust your intuition. Hmm. Let's see that telegram. Dear Mr. Samson, stop. My husband, William Dyer, is gravely ill and has requested your presence. Stop. Come at once to our home. He wishes to speak with you. Stop. Sincerely, Dorothy Dyer, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Thank you. I see by your expression that your suspicions may have been correct. It's my old anthropology professor, William Dyer. He is unwell and wants to speak with me. I shall contact Mr. Holdham to prepare the aeroplane immediately, sir. Thank you, Hartford. So, Jake, Hartford tells me your old teacher's not doing so good. He may be dying, Tex. But for the love of me, I can't think what he'd want to talk to me about. Well, he must have seen something special in you, partner. You have his wife contact y'all like that. Apart from my endless curiosity about ancient cultures and a knack for getting into trouble, I can't imagine what. He once called me undisciplined and unconventional in the way I approached my studies. Said that's why he wouldn't take me on any expeditions with him. Still, we kept in touch after I left good old Miskatonic University. 
I occasionally consulted him on some of the more curious materials I'd come across in my travels. He's been quite a valuable resource. Y'all want the Miskatonic? Well, shoot. That explains a lot. What do you mean? That old place is a regular fortress for studying stuff. They say it's supposed to have one of the best libraries in the whole dang world. Dr. Armitage was always proud of it. Well, boys, how are we doing? Are we there yet? Well, good morning, Miss Sunshine. Nice of you to join us now that we're just getting into our landing pattern. You should feel complimented, Tex. I'm a pretty light sleeper and you didn't run into any turbulence at all. Just for that, after we land, I'm going to buy you the biggest bowl of clam chowder you've ever had. <laughs> Y'all sure know a way to a fella's heart. <laughs> I want you for Christmas. Anything that Santa would bring could never compare with you. I want you for Christmas. You're a pet that money can't get, and nothing but you will do. Mr. Sampson? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Dyer, I presume. Yes. Thank you for coming. William will be very happy to see you. These are my associates. Texas Hold'em and Lucy Carter. Mrs. Dyer. Ma'am. Please, come right in and make yourselves comfortable. I'll let William know you're here. <laughs> I just want one gift. On December 25th, I want you for Christmas. I don't what a charming little house they have. White picket fence and all. Yeah, good thing they don't live at Jake's place. They need a scooter or something to get around. Gee-wee! No wonder Harper's in such good shape. Y'all ever think of selling your old mansion for something smaller, Jake? Actually, Tex, I used to have a penthouse downtown. But with the nature of my business and some of my encounters, I felt it better to keep to the seclusion of the countryside. <laughs> good point. No neighbors worry about them weird lights and sounds. And things with tentacles from outer space. Jake, you really attract interesting things. Where there's strange, there's always Samson. You're not kidding. I think that's why it feels so good to be here. It's just so delightfully normal. Ah, Jacob, thank you for coming. It's been some time. Professor, it's good to see you. These are my associates. Texas Hold'em and Lucy Carter. Pleasure to meet you both. So, Jacob, you found a couple others willing to get into trouble with you, I see. <laughs> now, Professor, you know you've also had your share of adventures. Antarctica, for instance? I would prefer to leave that expedition behind me, thank you. Whoever it is of another adventure that I'd like to speak to you. Some time ago, I returned from a trip to Australia... I accompanied Professor Peasley in search of the remains of a lost civilization called the Yith, a race from beyond the stars. Did you find it? What we found was madness, Jacob. 
A vast library of madness, born out of visions human minds could scarcely comprehend. While I may at this moment seem quite lucid, my brain is deteriorating. It is as if something is eating away, added Jacob. The doctors are mystified, naturally, and when I tried to explain it was from communion with the yith, they'd simply shake their heads and diagnose it as a sign of my own impending madness. I asked you here, Jacob, because I knew you would understand. But how can I help, Professor? I need you to find something for me. It may be my last hope. Sadly, it's too late for Peasley. But I may have a chance. Name it, Professor. A medicine. Made from the snow lotus. Snow lotus? A very rare flower that grows in Tibet. It is said to be a staple in the diet of the inhabitants of Shambhala. It cures all sicknesses. It is even said to have the power to make men immortal. But, Professor, Shambhala is a myth. No, Jacob, it is real. Freeborn found it years ago. Professor, are you all right? This journal. Take this journal. It will help you find it. Go to the monastery of Lhasa Nyopong. Find the abbot, Tiampo. He, he will help you. Lay back and rest, Professor. Let me help you. Yes, yes. Jacob, here's the journal. In it is the drawing of the snow lotus. Yes, Professor. You can count There's on us. There's not much time, Jacob. The visions... They're coming more frequently. Creatures. The eyes. Polyps. The polyps are coming! Professor. William! William? I think you'll be okay, Mrs. Dyer, but I'm not sure for how long. At this point, we can only help to make him comfortable. Does this happen often? Only over the last couple weeks. He'll be talking, and suddenly his eyes begin to glaze over. Sometimes he'll say unintelligible things. Kind of like that. I don't know what he means by polyps. Like tumors? I doubt he's talking about small marine invertebrates. Neither makes sense. Mrs. Dyer, I think our best course of action is to be on our way. It seems we now have to make an expedition of our own. Thank you, Mr. Sampson. Thank you all. Don't you said anything since we took off. I've been engrossed in this diary Professor Dyer gave me, Lucy. It's a fascinating read. Especially the annotations about this mysterious snow lotus. Is that what I'm hoping it is? I wish I could say. The notes he's written seem grounded in fact, but seem pretty speculative. The flower grows only in a certain region, believed to be located around the city of Shambhala. But the professor and some of his colleagues seem to have believed otherwise. You said earlier the city was a myth. 
kind of like Brigitte too. These are pretty learned men, Lucy. Their knowledge of and travels into unknown lands sometimes exceed even my own. Did the professor note where it was located? Somewhere in a valley hidden within the Kunlun Mountains, in northern Tibet. Flying's going to be mighty tricky, not to mention finding a good place to land. Well, Jake, don't y'all worry none about that. If there's any open space around there that I can set Miss Rita down in, y'all know I can do it without messing up a single hair on Miss Lucy's head. I think I may hold you to that one, Tex. Well, this map that the professor had tucked into the diary shows a fairly open space a few miles away from the Lamas area that we need to find. Granted, we're going to have quite a trek ahead of us after we land. I just hope that their Abbott feller's going to be home once we get there. Phew. It's not like we're able to call ahead and tell them we'd be dropping in. That's true, too. However, I suspect the monks who live at these secluded places rarely travel far from home. So, if it's real... What exactly is this Shambhala place anyway? And why don't more people know about it? According to ancient Tibetan legend, Shambhala is a mythical place of eternal peace. Everyone who lives there exists with each other in perfect harmony. There is no poverty, sickness, or war. Everyone shares what they have with each other, and no person wants for anything. Utopia. Essentially, yes. The people who inhabit Shambhala are said to age very slowly, if at all contributing to the myth that they may have somehow found the secret to immortality. <laughs> Probably from eating salad made from them snow lotus flowers. What? Why y'all looking at me like that? Tex, that was brilliant. What was? Your hypothesis about the Shambhalan people. While quite a number of individuals speculate that Shambhalan exists, there seems to be no concrete proof that it's real. It's all hearsay and stories. There are no known pictures of the place, nor of anyone who's actually been inside or met its people. If these notes are right, and we can actually find the Snow Lotus, it could add a whole new degree of credibility towards steering the story from legend towards fact. A find like the Snow Lotus could potentially change the face of modern medicine forever. All the world's diseases could be cured. Sickness? Infirmity? Ugly smoke, Jake! What if it really could make people... You are clear on your orders, then. Jahir, Commandant. I need not remind you of the importance of this mission to our Fuhrer. Succeed, and you shall be the greatest hero the Fatherland has ever known. A hero unmatched since Siegfried himself. I shall succeed or die, Herr Commandant. If you succeed in finding this lost city and the secrets of its superhuman race, Kopiaga, you... I and the entire Reich need never concern ourselves with the triviality of death. Ever again.
Thank you for listening to Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter, The Roof of the World, Episode 1, written by Mark Kalita, mixed by Bill Holweg. Starring in tonight's show, Mark Kalita as Jake Sampson, Bill Holweg as Texas Hold'em, Natasha Lathrop as Lucy Carter, David Subkoyak as Hartford, the announcer, Ellie Hirschman, and from the Sonic Society, Shannon Hilchey as Dorothy Dyer, Jack Ward as William Dyer, David Subkoyak's father, Gerald E. Subkoyak as the Abbot, T.M. Poe, Paul Mannering as Longsang, David Sokoyak's brother, Alan Sokoyak, reprising his role from Gods of War as the Commandant. Brian Bokikio of Seraphic Panoply as Captain Kofiega, with Bruce Busby as Gerhardt, Colin Snow as Sin Fong, and Stephen J. Cohen as Mupo. The music in tonight's episode was supplied by the Artie Shaw Orchestra for the Jake Sampson theme, Helen Kane from 1928 from the Internet Archive, Celestial Aeon. Music also comes from the Internet Archive. And music of the Nazis also comes from the Internet Archive. Thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in for the next exciting episode of Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter, only at www.brokensea.com Despicable here. You know, so many people complain about the state of horror in science fiction films, but no one does anything about it until now. <laughs> Each installment I compare two films, and thanks to an unspecified number of temporal experiments that have irreparably damaged the space time continuum, I host two people, or culprits, involved with the films in question. Each guest is placed in his very own soundproof booth of doom. The guest whose film I find superior will be safely returned to his or her time stream after a harmless but thorough memory flossing, while the participant whose film falls short in my estimation suffers a fiendish fate dictated by my soon-to-be-patented wheel of misfortune. And only one, if any, of my guests will ever leave Castle Despicable alive. So join me for Dr. Despicable's Chamber of Cinema at www.chamberofcinema.com. Get a cinematic education, let me save you the trouble of seeing some real dreck, and start getting used to me bossing you around when I take over the world. I have pie.